this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. morning but please remember him in your prayers because he would love to have been up here saying goodbye to this very dear couple but he's not going to make it today so I'm standing in the breach um, what do we say about a couple like this I mean if you as little as possible no 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 we're going to embarrass you totally because um, I've got the microphone and don't switch me off Dave thank you um, if you if you're looking for servant-hearted people in the church if you're looking for those faithful people in the church then look no further than this couple here who have been magnificent over the time they've been with us. Uh, They've led a life group faithfully for many, many years. And those of you that have been part of that life group will know what a blessing they've been. The times you've been around for meals, that you've had a chance to laugh with them, that they've uh, had a time to cry together and to help you out. And this is a a class couple, really, and we're going to miss them terribly. And then Val, as well, has been the chairman of the trustees for a long time now and has done an absolutely brilliant job behind the scenes. Things that many of us will never get to see that Val has done. So it's a very sad day because they're a very dear couple to us, but they're going on to something very special and God very much has called them to go over to Lincoln. So we're doing this in two parts today. So the first thing we're going to do today is we're going to give them this gift from you, from the church, for a lovely slap-up meal that's specially been sorted out in Lincoln through some unscrupulous people that gave us a slightly rough restaurant but there we are anyway um so don't come back to us i think they've got i think got one star on the window for for hygiene is that that's pretty good isn't it one star so can we present you with that first of all and then the second part of it we're going to pray for these guys this afternoon so please if you haven't come with any food and you want to come this afternoon to bramble book community center at 1 30 we're going to be saying formally goodbye to john avowal we're going to have a sit-down lunch together. So even if you don't know them very well, you're still welcome to lunch because we've all brought food for ourselves plus one or two extra people. So please, if you can make it this afternoon, let's listen to what John and Val are going to do. Let's give them the microphone for a couple of minutes or so. And they can tell us what they're going to do and then we can pray for them and send them off with our blessing. Is that okay? Blessing. So as they go back to their seats, can we just stand to our feet for a second, please, as a church and give them a wonderful round of applause for all they've done. Thank you. Bless you, guys. back. Wonderful. Well, in that spirit of honouring people, I'd like you to, in just a moment, welcome up Michael Jarit, uh, who's brought his son Torin along with him. And uh, I first had the pleasure of meeting Michael some seven years ago, I believe it was, when uh, not long after I'd uh, sort of a, a rather, uh, a rather uh, lovely young lady had caught my eye. And she happened to be going along. I can talk about it like that because she's a friend of mine. <laughs> and uh, and it quickly became apparent that I, as I introduced myself to uh, this church leader, this pastor um, of whom uh, Izzy was part of the flock, that here was um, somebody who, who really uh, carried with a sense of um, profound 
uh, reverence the, the duty and the call that God had put on his life to, to lead the church. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's been a, pre- uh, a pleasure to sort of keep in touch through various events, through Devoted or, or some of the other um, sphere-wide events that are happening. And, and every time I'm always struck with Michael's enthusiasm, his ready sense of wit, uh, which is uh, far sharper than mine. And uh, we've got a lot to be expectant for. Michael's been leading um, the church in Stoke for 10 years now, he says, approximately 10 years. People are a bit uh, sort of vague on the details, but it's fantastic to have him and, and welcome Torin well. Uh, so uh, we, David is going to be reading for him. So David, if you'd like to make your way down... Um, but can we uh, welcome David and then Michael when they uh, come to share for us? Thank you. That's my fault. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly house is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Cheers. I'm good. I'm going to rearrange the furniture a bit, is that okay? You don't have to ask me to make myself at home, I do. So, end of. Um, I'm a bit of a wanderer, so I walk. And uh, at Grace Church at home, we have um, steel-tapped, steel-toe-cap boots for the people in the front row. Um, just so I don't tread on their toes. Not, not going to make any comment about which leadership couple are more in the spirit or not, but John sat himself behind a board here. <laughs> and, and Rupert's coming open-toed flip-flops. <laughs> so, you know, that, we'll see how that works in terms of what people do and uh, whether I get asked to leave. How, how are we doing with the slides, Dave? Are they dead? Okay. All right, if they, if they materialise behind me at any point... We'll, we'll stop and say thanks for a miracle, and, uh, and we'll move on. So I'm Michael. Um, I'm normally, when I want to come and when I travel, I normally take my lovely wife with me, um, Suzanne, who's beautiful and gorgeous and makes me look good, um, which I like. Uh, she's in Canada looking after her mum. My mum's very seriously, or probably dying, 
Um, one of the issues of marrying someone from another country is trying to make sure that they can get back for those key parts. So we made the snap decision last week that we'd send Suzanne. She'd fly um, out there to be with her, her mum. She's okay-ish um, in terms of maybe not being quite as bad as we thought it was, but it's, she's great to have the time to be with her dad and particularly helping him. Suzanne's mum's 93. She just had a shoulder operation, um, a replacement, which is like, what, 93 and that, how that works. And she, she struggled to recover from that and then got an infection. And uh, so we made the decision that Sam, Suzanne ought to go and try and be with her um, just to enjoy company with her and talk with her. So we're not quite sure the next few days. They keep saying all the next 48 hours will be crucial. Um, she's 93. Um, so I guess being in that sort of situation, we're not quite sure what that works. But that's why she's not here. I've got the privilege of bringing my son with me. Um, so that's great. And they, he gets, he gets to, to catch up with some of his tutors as well, which is, which is cool. Um, in fact, you're taking your son to church and they meet their teacher there. So, uh, we, we knew that would probably be the case. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's great having my son with me. I'm really, he'll, he'll get to tell me what I should have said on the way home. So um, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> All right. Um, so here we are in this passage. All right. Thanks, thanks, Dave, for reading that for us. The 45-second version summary of that passage is this. Paul wants us as believers to move forward with the confidence, knowing that we're going to die, and to have that as an understanding that what that does is take us out of our temporal existence into permanent glory. He wants us to be confident about that. The notion of being with Jesus in perfection forever isn't just a nice idea. Oh, how sweet. It's not supposed to be that. It's not just supposed to leave a warm feeling in our heart. It's supposed to stir us and motivate us and be our inspiration for living well for Jesus now. Paul has complete confidence in the future. He knows that one day he will see Jesus face to face, and this provokes him to confidence in being righteous in the present. Fruitfulness is what he's looking for now. He's desiring to live a life that pleases Christ because of his confidence in the resurrection. So there you go. We're done. Parents, if you want to go and collect your children, drinks are available out of the back. Okay. Um, all right. A little jest. But the reality is that my guess is, and I don't know you all very well, but my guess is that you probably know that. So if I had, and this is where I go zap on the screen, and we don't get a couple of questions come up, I'll do it. You have to use your imagination. Um, do you know that one day you will be with Jesus forever, able to enjoy him in perfection? Yeah. Yeah. You do. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah. So there you go. We're done. Parents, if you, if you want to collect your children, drinks will be available. We know, we know that. The next question will come up, will hopefully make you think. When do you want that day to be? When would you want that day to be? Because what Paul seems to be talking about and the way it stirs us and provokes us is that ought to be something we want imminently. Yeah? Have you ever read this and thought, yeah, yeah, well, Paul, you seem really enthusiastic about dying, but I, I prefer to carry on a bit longer, thank you very much, and then maybe thinking, and does that mean I don't love Jesus very much? Yeah? Anyone else ever thought like that in terms of, well, I quite like life and I'm very keen on what's going on. I, I, I don't know if I want to be. So the reality is that we find that sort of question, when would you want that? So, yeah, we, we know we're going to be with Jesus in perfection forever. Yes, we are looking forward to that. But not just yet. Thank you very much. Yeah? Is that Because that's where I'm at with this. 
when I read that, that's how I engage. And we struggle with that. That confuses us. And there, there are two reasons I want to try and unpick. Is that because I'm moving around or doing something I shouldn't be doing? Or is that someone else making a noise in the back? Just... <laughs> there are two reasons why I think that happens. Come off. That might be why. Am I detached? Is it wobbling? You can... Ow! Well, you bully. Get off. <laughs> I, I, told Rupert, I told Rupert I would tease him, so... <laughs> he won't be disappointed. Now. There are two reasons why I think that happens. Okay? Two reasons why I think that happens. First, and I'm not going to get into this this morning... First, I don't think we really understand just how good it's going to be to be with Jesus. I think we often think that being with Jesus in heaven is actually going to be a bit boring. Just be like a long church meeting. And if, if, you're, on the, if you're on the PI, that, if you're on the PI, that's not heaven. That, that, that's somewhere else. You're just for an eternal meeting wherever you've got to sort out. Okay? If you're worship leading, that's gonna you'll be okay for a bit, but like an eternal meeting, whoa. We, that's what we often think. Or we think that we're sitting around on clouds playing fluffy things or what have you, and there's not much happening. That's often what we think heaven is like. Can I tell you that's rubbish? It's absolute rubbish. Heaven is an exciting, fulfilling, adventurous place where God is with us. Everything's perfect and beautiful and everything is fulfilling. I'm looking forward to that. I do find that exciting. I'm generally looking forward to being with Jesus, not just because it'd be wonderful to see his face. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, to see Jesus face to face. That will happen one day. I'm looking forward to that. Not just that, actually, but that everything we do will be exciting and full of purpose and fulfilling. Even everyday life. See, I don't, I don't think I don't think that being with Jesus in heaven or when, when he comes back to earth and we're with him in that sort of setting, I don't believe for one minute it is going to be one big long church meeting. Okay, I think there will be things for us to do. I think there will be work, there will be tasks for us to do. That will be enjoyable, that will be fulfilling. So I'm looking forward to having some shoulder muscles. I'm looking forward to not being nervous about heights. I'm looking forward to drinking really expensive whiskey that I can't afford now. Okay? I'm looking to loads and loads of things that I'm going to enjoy about life that for different reasons I don't get to do now. But will be even better, even more glorious, even more beautiful. So imagine, and this might help you because we often struggle with this, imagine a really, really good day at work. You ever had one of those? You have, okay, you have. You've had a day at work where you come home with everything, every box ticked, everything, you feel really fulfilled, you've really enjoyed it, you've achieved this and that's happened. What about if it was like that all the time? What about if your experience of enjoying things, so you've been to some beautiful places, yeah? What about if they were fully redeemed and even more glorious? So now it makes your chin drop when you see somewhere beautiful. What about then? I mean, that's going to be exciting. And there's no suffering. There's no sickness. There's no sadness. There's no pain. So all the good things about life that we enjoy now are magnified. So the things, even your best day will be even better when we're with Jesus forever. All right? And the bad things, of course, they won't be there. That's good, isn't it? I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited about that. 
And so one of the things, one of the reasons that we, we struggle with, well, maybe not just yet, if, it's, if you don't mind God, um, um, I, it's my birthday next week, or something like that, it isn't. All right, but those are often the things that we think. So we can range from the trivial, why don't you want Jesus to, why don't you want Jesus to come back tomorrow? Why don't you want to die? I mean, this is called Jubilee Church. It's not called Death Wish Church. Right. You know, I'm not asking you to change the name. We, we don't want to have some sort of suicide pact thing or, or notion, let's, let's get there quick. <laughs> We've got things that God's got for us to enjoy, and that's right and good. Okay? So the other reason, I think, we struggle with this notion of, oh, I don't know if I want to go just yet. It's because actually we've got good things to do. And we need to understand that and know that that's okay. See, we, we normally think of things like if you really want it, and it's something you're really looking forward to, you'd like it to be as soon as possible. Yeah? So if you said to a little child, when would you like Christmas to be? Tomorrow! That's what they're going to say. If you stop and explain, well, actually, it's about another 175 days. You get that for free, by the way. It's about another 100, so I had to work it out. It's about another 175 days. They're not going to sit down and philosophically say, well, I guess that's good. I get a lot of build-up. They're going to say something like, that's ages. Actually, they'll probably say that even the week before. Okay? And they won't be in a position to be philosophical about, I guess I get Advent and I like that build-up. No, they'll want it to be now. And we carry that sense of if something good is coming, we don't really like the build-up. We want it to be sooner rather than later. Or is that just me? No. no? Yeah, so if, if I know something good is coming, I'm not very good. I'm not very patient at waiting. I'd like to fast-forward the time to get through, to get to, to get to where I want to get to. So we have a sense that really we ought to want to be with Jesus tomorrow. And I ought to be able to say, yeah, I, I really would quite like to die this afternoon so that I could be with Jesus. The fact that that isn't my response sometimes feels a little bit disconcerting. Particularly when I read about Paul that says to die is to gain. Was that just because I'm a wimp? Don't answer that. Okay. Is it because I'm really hyper-materialistic and I've got loads of things and I don't want to let go? I honestly don't think it is. I wonder why it is. I mean, the reality is I said most of us wouldn't want it to be immediate. So most of us will say, you know, I've got this I want to do and that I want to do. And um, the reality is, I don't know everyone in this room, but far from it. But I guess the reality is if, if you're walking through really difficult circumstances at the minute, where you can't see any way out of some really significant trauma, then actually you're probably much more focused on wanting to be with Jesus sooner rather than later. And obviously in some cultures and some settings, that is their experience. So I guess the reality is, even for me, if my family had been killed in front of my eyes and I was being tortured, that might heighten something of my expectation to desire Jesus now. For some of us here, that probably isn't our experience. For some of us here, if we're going through physical pain, emotional agony, we, we can feel like that and be like that. And that's okay. Most of us, we're not in that place and that often sort of softens the edges about what we think should or shouldn't happen. So you see, the reality is, my desire is still there. I do want to be with Jesus. But it's not so pressing because I've got other things to look forward to. So the simple reality, and be careful you don't misquote this, the simple reality is if you'd woken me up this morning and said, Michael, do you want to go to Derby? Or do you want to be in heaven with Jesus? I actually would have chosen Derby. Which you'll scratch your head and think, he's a sad guy. 
Why is that? Why is that? And that's actually the way we think. And in some respects it is helpful, in some respects it isn't. So that's where we start from. That's often how we engage with it. It's not how God works. So actually, for me, the reason I chose would choose to be here is not just because I'm highly diligent and full of a supernatural compassion for you all. <coughs> actually, it's right. There's, there's loads of things for me to look forward to. So I'd like, my wife's in Canada. She's due home on Wednesday. I'd like to see her again. I'm looking forward to all the things that are ahead for our church that we, we've got planning and we're working towards. I'm excited about that. I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's wrong for me to want to see my wife again. In fact, it'd be something seriously wrong if I didn't, wouldn't you think? So maybe a better question to help you check your priorities would be, what happens if it was an either or? So if God had woke me up this morning and said, you can choose sunshine, you can go to Derby, or you can come to heaven, and this is your last chance, then it's actually a no-brainer then. Because I wouldn't want to miss. Now, it was great being with you guys, you know, please don't get me wrong. And I'd love to see my wife, but actually if for some reason it meant that I couldn't go and be with Jesus, and that was my one shot, there's, there's no way. It, I wouldn't even have to think about it. Do you see the difference? Often we put it in, you see, the reality is we don't get to make that call anyway. God decides when my time is right and he will make that call and I have to be comfortable and confident with that. But sometimes we tie ourselves up in knots thinking, yeah, but I wouldn't choose to go with Jesus. We don't get to choose. I don't get to choose when I say goodbye to Suzanne. I don't get to choose whether I necessarily come here this morning, actually. I don't control those things. We plan things and we arrange things. But actually, I, I thousand and one things could happen to stop events that we've planned and thought through going ahead. And see, Paul, Paul wants to make sure we don't think like that. So one of the things he's stirring us this morning is actually being confident in the future and for that confidence to affect us in the presence. So it changes what we do now. It's not wrong to think about what we do now. Paul wasn't so like, oh yeah, I'm just so looking forward to be with Jesus, so looking forward to be with Jesus. This guy went and planted churches around the known Roman Empire. He wasn't like, yeah, I just want to be with Jesus. Just want to be. He went and got on with stuff because he was looking forward to being with Jesus. Do you, do you see the difference? So it's not something that we're supposed to say, yeah, well, that's lovely, isn't it? What a lovely idea. No, it should reassure, it should comfort, it should strengthen us when we need it, but it also should spur us into action. It should stimulate us to make the best of what we've got now. No one will be able to enjoy that with Jesus in the future. So let me just pick through a couple of things. This is a bit, bit, bit disconcerting for me. There's no clock and no lights. So I have no idea if it's getting dark. Um, <laughs> which at home would be okay because we've got loads of windows around. I get people throwing things at me. Um, so <laughs> what I want to do is just pick through a few things. If we've got time, we'll ask some questions at the end, okay? So two or three things. I'm not going to walk through verse by verse. I'm not going to talk about what heaven would be like. That would take a mini-series, I would suggest. If you'd like to know that, so when I talk about being excited about heaven, if you think, yeah, do you know what? I, I just thought it was fluffy clouds and what have you. Here's, here's a book I'd love to recommend to you. It's a book that's imaginatively called Heaven. All right? It's by a guy called Randy Alcorn. I don't agree with everything he says in there. It's a long book, but there's bits of it you can pick into and out of. Okay, it's quite easy to read. And he uses his imagination woven in with his understanding of Scripture to try and suggest 
to get us thinking about what it might be like when Jesus is back, when we've got the renewed heaven and the new earth and all that sort of stuff, and we've got new bodies, which, like I say, I'm really looking forward to. The older you get, the more quickly you're looking forward to your new body. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to be able to not have to take a day recovering from a heavy night's bad badminton the evening before. Um, I'm looking forward to that one. I can just spring up like I used to be able to. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a great book to read if you want to know more about what you think or what different people get thinking about. What it would be like? What will heaven look like? What will it be like to be with Jesus forever? Have a read of that sometime. But what I just want to do is pick out a couple of things from this passage that I think will make us think a little bit more about what this is about. So Paul's in the midst, the passage that we land in is in the midst of a whole theme of trying to understand our humanity in the light of eternity. So if you did chapter 4 last time, which is always a good idea, do the chapter before, before the chapter after. I recommend that. Okay. Um, he's been using the illustration of treasure in jars of clay. Yeah, done that? Yeah, cool. All right, which is a notion of something glorious housed in something flawed. That's what that's about. Paul's talking about that. And now in chapter 5, what he does is he changes the picture a little bit, he uses different metaphorical language, and he starts talking about our earthly home, this physical body. He starts talking about it being a tent and comparing it to the physical building that we will get when we go to be with Jesus that is built by God. I, I love this notion of a tent. This is a tent. That's what this is. That's what the Bible teaches me. Our, our culture teaches everything but. This is something to be preserved, looked after, operated on, refined, made better, stronger, you know, to keep going. That, that, that's how our culture teaches what my body is. It's something to be aspired to and pushed onto in terms of the way that we live now. The Bible teaches that this is a tent. I don't know how much energy you put into your tents. Um, Paul and the Corinthians would have been used to tents. Paul made them while he was living amongst the Corinthians. That's what he did to earn a living. The Corinthians would have probably uh, it would have been used a lot. They had a games, it's called the Isthmian Games, I think it was, that came to Corinth, and people would have been housed in tents. So tents would have been uh, a, a regular phenomenon for people. They would have understood the difference when you're talking about a tent compared to where you're talking about a building. I don't know what your individual level of appreciation for the experience of camping is. I find it fascinating that he talks about tents and he talks about groaning. <laughs> that's what, that's what he, he talks about groaning in his tent if you've been to devoted you'll have heard people groaning in their tents particularly when the rain and the wind and the weather and of course it won't be anything like that next time <laughs> uh, understanding you know it, maybe maybe you're an enthusiastic camper and they do exist Hooray. okay um, and uh, the reality still is however enthusiastic you are you probably wouldn't choose a life under canvas as your permanent existence. So you like tenting because you like the fresh air and that sort of thing. You don't mind the fact you get wet, cold, and all that sort of bits and pieces. Um, you, you enjoy it. You, you know, when we're together as a church family, I, I, I enjoy that. Um, so there's some celebrations, great times, and encourage you to come. I'm not going to put you off. Um, but actually, there's a notion to which people are still looking for their permanent address. So the groans, the disappointments, the frustrations of living in tents for crumbs, four whole days or whatever. Actually, 
people by the end are looking, <laughs> looking to be back in bricks and mortar. That's a beautiful picture of what, God, what Paul talks about here. Living in tents and groaning, temporal nature of this life. This body is a tent. That's, that's what it is. So if you imagine, so there's nothing wrong with looking after it. I hope, I hope when you go devoted or when you go camping on holiday, whatever you do, if you are someone who lives in canvas at any point, I hope you look after what you've got. But you'd be pretty foolish, I just hope no one's done this, you'd be pretty foolish if you decide to have your poles made of gold and you decided to you know, really splash out on your tent that you're going to use for four days and you put a lot of money into your tent and actually took no care of your home. Never mind the roof and our house, there's a big hole in it, but we're going to get gold-plated poles for our tent are devoted. Now, that would cause a bit of a stir, and you might feel a bit good for four days. Whoa, that's tent, you know, it's a bit, hey! This is four days. You'd be rather foolish investing in the wrong thing in terms of what that's looking like for your life even on earth. Why would we unnecessarily invest in this tent that one day is going to be changed into something much better and much more glorious and forever. It's God himself who's preparing this new building for us as well as preparing us for a new building. He's doing both and he's doing it by his spirit and Paul talks about the spirit being given as a guarantee that is what's going to happen. That is what God's going to do. The, the, the Greek word that Paul uses for guarantee in modern Greek is the same word that they use for engagement ring. That's sweet, isn't it? The idea of a pledge, a promise of what's going to happen. Is anyone here engaged? Cool. Congratulations. Okay. And he's, he's engaged as well. That's reassuring. Okay. So it's not just you. It's not like a, I'm engaged. He isn't. <laughs> okay, you might have some work to do. <laughs> so I'm sorry to embarrass you. So you're engaged, and that's good, yeah? When are you due to marry, do you know? Sorry? Do you have a plan for when you're due to get married? September. This September. Congratulations. Okay. You don't want to be just engaged in October, do you? So I got engaged uh, 29 years ago on April the 7th. I'm, I suppose I'm still engaged. I'm not unengaged, but I'm glad I'm not still just engaged. Because the ring that I found, I bought for Suzanne. <laughs> no idea. I bought you buy one. <laughs> um, we enjoyed choosing stuff, but it was, it was a promise of something different. Okay? I'm not, we're not still celebrating being engaged. It's good to celebrate being engaged when it happens, but it's, it's a looking to something else. So I didn't just give Susanna a ring because I thought, oh, you need a ring, poor thing. Okay, no, it was a pledge, a promise that we would one day get married. It was about a couple of months after that. It's a looking ahead, it's a pledge. The Spirit's a guarantee. So as the Spirit's been moving amongst us this morning, that's great. I love that. When he comes and stirs us and engages, we gather together corporately. You do realize it's much, much more than that, don't you? So the Spirit doesn't just wake up on Sunday, bowl up with you lot, and think, okay, I can rest for another week now. 
He's, he's with you all the time. Working with you and through you, showing you things, leading you things, challenging you with things. That's a guarantee of something better to come. And because of this, Paul says, we're always of good courage. That's verse 6. Always of good courage. Irrespective of whether circumstances are good or bad. And boy, did Paul know the extremes of both. Some horrific things that he went through. And yet he's able to say we're always of good courage. Sometimes, I could be a bit like this as well, sometimes we're full of good courage when things are going well. Actually, the bus is late and everything comes tumbling down. Where's God? Why has this not worked? And sometimes they can be relatively trivial things that pull the rug from under our feet. Paul, Paul stirs us to be people who are always of good courage. Why? Because I understand that this body is a tent. And what I'm living in is temporal, it's passing, and what I'm going to get is wonderful and glorious. See, we get it the wrong way around. We think that what we've got now is concrete and substantial, and what is, lies ahead is like a bit vague and wishy-washy. Actually, it's the other way around. What we've got now is temporal and insubstantial. What we're going to get is permanent and glorious. We've got to change our thinking. We're so used to looking by what we see, and you know that's solid, and this is good, and that's going to fall over. We're so used to that. Actually, we forget that faith comes by seeing. And we have to trust what we don't see, and that produces faith in us to be confident of the concrete purposes of God. Yeah, so we often think, oh yeah, it's be wishy-washy, maybe we're doing this. No, there's a permanence about what we will be like, and there's a promise about that. And that means that our confidence is what is eternal, stirs us to live well in the present. <laughs> Certainly not because life is always a breeze, not because we're on an increasing straight line of continued success, you know, a straight line graph that just goes up, success, success, success. Oh, that doesn't happen in my life. Mine's more sort of up and down. And uh, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. Actually, the reality is that Paul understands that both successes and failures, triumphs and tragedies as we experience in this earthly life, and actually it's the Spirit's presence through them that guarantees our future. It's not the fact that troubles come. You know that, don't you? So it's not the, guarantee, the presence of the Spirit isn't that my life goes swimmingly and wonderfully well. That's not what he guarantees. He guarantees by being with me and enabling me to sustain through those difficult things that actually I can have a confidence that he's with me forever. So you see, sometimes, particularly for Paul, sometimes the Spirit provided a way out. Sometimes he was rescued, sometimes he was healed, sometimes he was provided for, sometimes there were miracles. Hallelujah. I like that. Sometimes the Spirit just sustained him through it. And there didn't seem to be an obvious way out. There didn't seem to be an obvious provision. There didn't seem to be an obvious breakthrough. You see... If it's your success through the challenges of, of life that provides your confidence, then the reality is that sometimes you'll have reason to be confident and other times you won't. 
because you messed it up or you did it wrong or you couldn't control that or that came from left field and you hadn't seen that. Again, that might just be me. But my experience is that sometimes I do well, sometimes I don't. And if it's my confidence is in me doing well, then I've only got reason to be confident some of the time. Certainly not all of the time. I certainly can't always be of good courage because I've just messed that up. Actually, if my confidence is based on the Spirit is with me, he's made his home in me, then I have every reason to be confident and every reason to agree with Paul as he stirs me to be of good courage always. I can do that. I wonder if we can stir each other to do that. Okay, a couple more things and we'll come to a close. I wonder, I wonder how you are with this way that Paul provokes this, allows this confidence in being with Jesus forever. He allows it to provoke him to be someone that aims to live to please Jesus. Did you notice that as we read the text? So whether we are at home or away, sounds like a football fixture, we make it our aim to please him. That's what Paul says. I wonder, I wonder. Oh, I like that. It's good noise. It's good singing. <laughs> Anyone got the interpretation? <laughs> Paul? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Paul has an aim to please God. You, you do know, don't you? You do understand that your choices please God. Do you know that? See, sometimes I think we can miss that element of the fact that we get some options in life and God responds to it. We're not going to talk about earning our salvation. Paul knows he can't do that. He knows he's fully accepted and fully loved only and completely because of the work of Christ. So we know that, don't we? We know what it means to be a child of grace, the fact we didn't deserve it, that God has, out of his love and mercy, sent his son to die on our behalf so that we, without any merit, without any, any behaviour award on our part, we can enter fully into that and have that awarded as a gift. Yeah, we know that. But we also know that actually God is not ambivalent about our choices. So I, I'm, I'm awarded favour because I'm a son. God looks on me with favour. My status is a son of God. Actually, as I live out that sonship, I have opportunities to please God through my choices. And therefore, by implication, don't like this, opportunities to displease him by my disobedience. It's possible, even as a child of grace, to please or displease God by our daily actions and or choices. See, sometimes we portray God as sort of shrugging his shoulders, saying, well, it doesn't matter. I love you. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter what you did. I love you. Yeah. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't change our status. So when I'm disobedient, God doesn't withdraw his favour from me. He doesn't say, ah, oh, yeah, I knew I shouldn't have saved you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't take his favour away from me. But I can please or displease him, but he's not ambivalent. He doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say, even when I'm, so when I'm obedient, the other option is when I'm obedient, he doesn't say, well, so what? I've given you my spirit. I, I prepared good works in advance for you to do. Just get on with it, sunshine. Stop belly aching. He doesn't shrug his shoulders. Our choices, our actions don't affect our salvation, 
but we have got the opportunity to live daily lives that please our Father. Do you, do you understand that? Because actually, if you, if you have good human relationships, spouses, parents, good friends, you'll know that's true. So, I was going to say, can my wife displease me? It's much more likely to be the other way around. Can I displease my wife and her still be totally in love with me and totally, totally committed to me? And the answer is, I can. And I and often do. Okay? Parents, you'll know this. In terms of your children aren't doing what you want them to do. You're not happy about their behaviour. It displeases you. But it doesn't change your affection for them. It doesn't change, certainly doesn't change their status. They're fully sons, fully daughters. It's not, well, you've dropped the jam on the floor, forget it, leave home, I don't want you. Okay? And the reality is, when they make those private decisions of obedience, your heart lifts. When you know they've done something costly that you would expect them to do, but they've done it in private without a big fanfare, and you become aware of it, when you know they're responding to your instruction about what they should or shouldn't do, and they've done that when they didn't necessarily need to because no one else was watching, as a parent, you love that. Torrin's done it once. You know, so. <laughs> it lifts. It lifts. Your heart lifts. If that's us in our human relationships, why, not, why would God not be like that? in terms of looking on us with pride and favour and excitement, when we make those choices in private about how we're going to honour him, that no one else sees, but that are costly. I think he loves that. Please don't ever create a God who just shrugs his shoulders and says, yeah, 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 well, whatever. And there's the angels pointing out, do you see what that guy gave? And he, you know, they're not, I don't know how they're going to pay the mortgage next month, but he wanted to give that. Do you see that guy going on a limb there? Do you see that lady doing that? And God said, yeah, whatever, come on, I've got a planet to run. No, he, he loves it. You can please God by your obedience. Don't lose sight of that. Paul's aim is to live in such a way that his actions will bring delight to God. And his expectation of a future resurrection encompasses the identification of his choices and actions that demonstrate this. Not to earn him salvation, but there's evidence of his salvation. Jesus really did make a difference in his life. See, there ought to be evidence, shouldn't they? If I say, if I say I love my wife, but actually when you talk to her, she says, well, he doesn't talk to me much. We never go out for a meal, never buys me anything. Um, he's not very affectionate. You'd seriously start to question whether I did love her. I could say it, but actually my actions ought to substantiate what I say. If I say I love my son, and you talk to him afterwards, be careful, okay? And you talk to him afterwards, and he downloads loads of stuff about the way I treat him, and also, and you, and you think I can't hear any affection, then you'd be seriously concerned about whether what I said was true. And if you say you love Jesus, there ought to be some evidence to confirm that, and I'm sure there is. So please don't get anxious. Oh, I had a flipping dreadful morning, and oh, I've been rumbled. No. There will be evidence of God being at work in your life. That should encourage you. The Spirit's there to guarantee. Yeah? And so we have been reminded of choices that you've made, costly ones. Well, you took a risk because you believed Jesus. And it cost you. Father loves those decisions. 
He looks on them with great favour. And they're evidence of your salvation. They're not earning your salvation. God doesn't say, Joe, I'm so glad I got that one. I don't know what I've done without them. Phew. No, they're not earning your salvation. That's a free gift. But they're evidence of it. They're evidence of the fact that Jesus is real to you. Jesus did make a difference in his life, not just in the public settings, but also in the privacy of thoughts and motives. See, let me ask you this question as we come to a close. Are we as keen to please God in the shadow as we are in the spotlight? The things that we do in public that everyone sees and they can stir us and push us on and obviously we want to look good. Are we as keen to make those decisions in the privacy of our own home when no one else is watching and we're just living for an audience of one? Are we sufficiently motivated by a future existence with Jesus such that this affects the choices we make today, even when that's costly? How do you help each other to live well for Jesus? See, I'm not, I'm not lecturing you. I'm not wagging a finger and saying, you're in a jolly one, you do this, and you jolly... Uh, that's not how we live, is it? I, I, I'm privileged to come and be involved with you, but actually I'm, I'm gone in a couple of hours' time. And although I meet regularly with David and John and they'll often cry and we'll talk it through and all sorts of bits and pieces like that. Um, I, I, I have no further part in your day-to-day ongoing growth because I'm not part of your local community. Okay? I've got a local community that I work with and my job is to care for them and their job is to care for me. So who helps you? Who stirs you to live well for Jesus? And I hope I'm doing that a bit today but actually, I'm not going to be here to pick up the pieces. So you need good people around you who you can stir to live well for Jesus and people who can stir you to live well for Jesus. Who's doing that? I mean, it's your responsibility as well. So please don't try and blame someone as well. I wouldn't have done that if they'd been there. No, you've got to live well for Jesus. That's your prime responsibility. But we're called into community to help each other do that. Yeah? So you're not supposed to be in isolation, just gritting your teeth, trying to work out how you do You need people around you. I find, I find it fascinating that often we, we, with a right sense of confidence in God's provision, actually often what we don't look is look at his provision. So Paul could talk to the Corinthians and say, you don't have many fathers. They've got God as their father, Paul. What are you talking about? Isn't God enough for them? Well, clearly not. Because God, he, Paul wanted them to have people around them that were father them. He didn't say, oh yeah, the reality is God's, God's everywhere and he's in everything, so hey, we don't need each other. Rubbish. He stirred us to look to each other, to engage with each other, to pursue each other, to befriend each other, to relate well to each other, so that we could serve each other, so that we could stir each other to live well for Jesus. So if you're not, if you think, actually, there is no one, well, pursue it. Make friends with people. Engage with people. Make yourself vulnerable. Don't keep yourself in isolation and think this is just between you and God. God's put people around you to stir you. How are you at building relationships such that instruction comes from a place of trust rather from lecturing and superiority? See, I want to suggest this. Living well for Jesus is a great lifetime goal to give yourself to. I can't think of a better one. 
I'm sure you can achieve and attain beautiful, brilliant, wonderful things. It is possible to do that without living well for Jesus. But to live well for Jesus, to know that this tent has displayed the glory of God through its choices, is, is the best thing to give yourself for. Now, that manifests itself in all sorts of ways. So I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. I want to, I want to look after the people that I serve at my own church well. There's loads of things I want to do because of that. But actually, none of them top, and obviously lots of them are interlinked with living well for Jesus. But there's nothing that I want to give myself to, nothing I want to invest myself in that should be more superior than wanting to live well for Jesus. One of the ways the Spirit would help you with that is to provide you with a loving church family who can help you. So, it's a tent. That's what Paul's talking about. This body's a tent. We get a building. As you look at tents, as you see semi-permanent structures, as you see temporary things around you, remind yourself that that's what your life is now. Think about what you're investing in. So I'm not saying don't look after this tent. I'm not saying don't, you know, don't get your hair cut. Don't bother brushing your teeth. No, some of you need to do that. Okay? It's okay to do that. It's okay to think about what colour shoes do I want to wear to match my shirt. It's all, it's all right to do things like that, okay? It's all right to take some investment to think about what this tent looks like. But always with the understanding and knowledge that one day it'll be gone. So I can't fight the inevitable. I can look after myself. I can take care. I can exercise. I can do all sorts of things. But I'm not desperately worried about wanting to be what I'm not. And the reality is, people were talking recently, I heard this statistic, someone said the death rate was changing. No, it isn't. Death rate is 100%. Okay? You're not going to fight that. You know, well, you can fight it, but you're not going to win. So that understanding of my temporary nature doesn't make me all depressed. doesn't make me all fed up. Think, oh, there's no point then, is it? No, actually what it does is stir me to use what God has given now as well as I can, investing not in now, but in a wonderful, glorious future. Isn't that good news? Okay, I'm done. Parents, you can. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much. That's absolutely fantastic. I don't know about you, but that was just really stirring. And uh, I feel really just, I feel a, a raised sense of expectation for living well now in order for uh, that future promise. And we know that God is a promise keeper. He's a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. So uh, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, parents, we in just about 60 seconds or so, we're going to need to ask you to collect your children from children's work. And uh, But we just perhaps if we can just uh, prevail upon, I'll, I'll be brief, but Paul was really stirred during the worship time. And I think in light of uh, what we've heard from Michael, which is, yeah, I just thank you so much. Can we just honour Michael with what he's brought to us? Yeah, in light of, in light of what he shared with us, I think uh, Paul had something on his heart, which perhaps he could share now. And then if you do need to still collect uh, your children, you could pop and do that and then come back. And, and if it's really spoken to you, we'd be glad to pray for you in that.
Um, yeah, it was just really um, following on from from what Owen brought, and as we were praying earlier in the in the thing, and, and what's been spoken about as well. I just um, Owen was praying, and he mentioned the word jet wash, and how God wanted to. I think it was something about water coming over people, and we got I got I got a picture of like water flowing over people that were dirty and just cleaning them. So when you jet wash something, it it can be full caked in mud. And you jet wash it and you get to the to the clean, you know, if you're doing your flags and you've got beautiful flags, you get to the beauty that's underneath. And and just, you know, the jars of clay as well. It just if if we go through life and, and we get covered in dirt, we get covered in muck. And if you're in that place and you know, if you're a if you feel like you've got clay on you and when clay dries, you can't move quite properly, you're stuck, you feel you're stuck in a place. God just wants to jet wash you this morning. He wants to jet wash that clay off you and it will come off. And underneath, God just wants to reveal your beauty again because he can see it. He knows it's there, but God's just saying, just, yeah, just come, just come down. If you've got dirt on you from stuff you've been going through, you know, Rupert was telling us yesterday he did a run and in this, this run he did, it was intentionally muddy in places and he got covered. And you know what he did before he came out? Um, He went in the shower and got clean because you just that's what you do and that's, what, that's a continual process as we get dirty we get clean so why not do that spiritually uh, as well um, so it's just really yeah, if you're feeling covered in mud you're feeling like stuck in something and you can't go anywhere then yeah, just love to pray for you really yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's the emphasis, isn't it? It's, you don't you don't worry about feeling like, oh, I'm you know, I'm muddy. As, as Paul said, that's part of life, isn't it? We go through it, we go through stuff, and and that happens to us. And but the the best thing is is feeling clean, having that washed away. So if if we can bless you with that, they'll be we'll be down the front to pray for you. Otherwise, feel free. Tea and drinks will be served through in the the box in the in the room out there. And uh, do please pick up those children. Thanks so much.